Frank, 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 50 episodes. Halfway to 100. That's mad. Uh, is it actually 50 episodes? It's episode number 50. And that's all that really matters. Because that means it's lightning talk week. The best week of all weeks. It's the best. It is the best. We're not ready to celebrate just yet, even though this is technically <laughs> our 52nd episode. But <sighs> actually 50. It's very mathematically inaccurate. And people actually on Twitter did ask us, do we start at zero or do we start at one? And we actually did start at zero. Well, um, we did both, actually. Yeah, yeah. Even though we don't even call that the official episode. That was the warm-up episode. And somehow you explained to me, though, that even though we have have 52 weeks, that we still haven't done this for a year yet, which really confuses me. So I think we're just going to leave the numbering aside and pretend everything's fine. la di da di da Yes, we're not ready to celebrate yet. We do appreciate all of the congratulations on Twitter. And all we do is just ask you um, to, you know, share merch, merch conflict with a friend or family member or colleague. That'd be great. That's what you can do for us for our 50th. But when we're ready to celebrate, we will celebrate party hardy and give away some stickers. Um, but this is lightning talk week, Frank, you said it. And mm-hmm. if you're new tuning into merch conflict, now we normally talk weekly on subjects near and dear to our hearts, but we just can't get to all of them. That's why we decided at episode number 10, actually, it might've been 11, that we said every 10 episodes, we're gonna do lightning talks where we take some of the topics that we can't get to or things that you've submitted to us, our listeners, and we just cover six of them and each of them in five minutes. So that's 30 minutes, six topics, five minutes each, and we just go lightning, bop, 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 bop. It's it's kind of my favorite type of episode. Yeah, it's the bop, 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 bop part that I have a little trouble with. I'm usually trying to keep up and my heart's racing, staring at the clock. But I think we got some good topics this week. I think, um, well, as always, the time will fly by. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I'm going to open it up here and we're just going to go for it. And really, this first topic, uh, I'm just going to phrase it like this, which is an issue from GitHub, which is why in all your apps do you, you do not follow standards, James? That's a great mm. question. Um, and this developer I, named yeah. Developer asked me why I don't follow standards um, generically, such as unit testing, dependency injection, using lots of static classes, service containers, I don't know, a bunch of stuff. Um, So I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about best practices and what are best practices? Uh, Actually, I really love uh, coding standards. Uh, I grew, uh, my first real professional programming gig was at General Motors, and we're doing embedded systems, and it's a hard area to program in, and so you rely on standards. We were using C, and Mm -hmm. so you you rely on standards to really kind of guide your hand and help you make sure you don't make mistakes, plus to make your code readable by everyone. Like, maybe it won't be the most elegant code, but everyone can understand it, that kind of stuff. So I'm a big proponent of uh, best practices and standards like that. What I'm not a proponent of is um, people pushing their standards on other people. I think every team not needs to come to their own standards. This is how we're going to do things. Every project is different. Every team is different. And I think like projecting out your own standards using scare quotes there is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, there's things that I think we've talked about on merge conflicts, such as testing and testability and different services. And I think for me, this actually came about from the Evolve Conference app, which again, I built the entire Evolve Conference app in less than a month or so on three different platforms and shipped it to the App Store, which when you're doing that, you can only find, you know, follow so many practices. But for me personally, you know, do I recommend unit testing? Sure. Like, should you unit test? Yeah. Should you do UI testing? Of course. Should you do a bunch of stuff? Sure. But 
those are just kind of like things that help the readability or testability of your code. Like, why do I not use dependency injection in any of my samples or ever? Because I don't like dependency injection. <laughs> and my standard is that I don't use dependency injection because it's stupid and I hate it. Um, yeah. Because it's not readable to me. Like, for me personally, like, do you love it? Use it. And if I'm inside of your application and that's our guidelines, I'm going to use it, right? But as far as on a day-to-day, I don't use it. I use a lot of static classes because I do. I write a lot of plugins and I don't really unit test. So that's just me. Yeah, you're almost making me think like I should codify my coding standards, but then I wonder if I even have any. Like (laughs) sometimes when I start a new project, I think, well, I'm going to completely change my coding standards. Like maybe I'll pick up dependency injection. I'll be like, for the heck of it, I'm just going to write this app using that. And I think, you know, the old joke about uh, standardizing things um, is like uh, the great thing about standards is there's always, (laughs) always so many to choose from. And I think that's it is. there's such variety that you can come up with your own and each is good for different things. Um, yeah, it's, it's not worth forcing the issue though. Like every project is different. Yeah. And what I like actually is not necessarily coding standards, but like guidelines, like naming conventions. So like when you read my applications, usually all my naming conventions are the same. I don't use underscores. I use, you know, proper camel or Pascal casing. Um, one thing I haven't really figured out with he, he even asked or he or she asked was what about async? Like the, the suffix on names, which (laughs) I've kind of against now because our IntelliSense is so good. Like you can just figure out that it's returning a task, which means it is async. So, um, you know, that's kind of my thing is, they had to do them because there was two versions of the method. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm just going to do whatever I write my code, which I think more, I just kind of drop it off. So that's what I like is naming conventions. And I've always been a big naming convention fan. Mm-hmm. But as far as standards, I think you're right. I think you nailed it on the head, which is everyone and every company has their own standards. And there are these kind of generic, broad standards that you hear people preach because that's what they like to do, or they've found some things that are common, but it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And just to keep the merge conflict theme going, I think I've decided to start putting async back on all my method names. <laughs> I was anti-async for a while, and now I'm back at it. It's an evolving standard, I guess. <laughs> that is uh, that is true. And I think, um, I don't know if Microsoft has an official statement on it, to be honest. I'd have to look it up. Under FX cop rules, we used to have all those FX cop stuff. Mostly people have stopped using it, but it, it still comes around using linters for all that stuff, which in general I do like. I, I do like linters, but uh, that's more for when I'm publishing something and I want other people to read the code for my internal projects. I'll never run a linter on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for VS or Mac to get the editor config stuff so you can mm-hmm. specify all of those things in just a like markdown yeah. style file. But done. Yep. Boom. Ooh, next. okay. Coming up next. And this is actually a question from Twitter that I received. And the question was simple. What are your favorite NuGet packages? What are your favorite external libraries that you pull down? I think I already know your answer, James. You're just going to say my own libraries, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll throw it at you. What, what are your favorite libraries? That is a great, great, great question. Um, so, you know, I think if you get out of the obvious, which would be everybody uses like json.net to do stuff. Um, I think I am going to go generically and say that I wrote one library a long time ago that happens to be my favorite library, which happens to be the library that I met you talking over, which happens to be my settings plugin. It is the best plugin that I ever wrote ever. 
If only I could remember the name of it. It's like every app I start, I want to bring in your settings thing, and then, then I, I nougat for settings, and it always doesn't come at the top. Wow. Yes, here's the trick. Are you ready, Frank? Here's mm. the pro tip of the week from Merge Conflict. <laughs> you go into the Nougat Package Manager, and you just type in my full name, James Montemagno, ah. and it will find all of my packages. Oh, then I get to sing the song when I try to remember how to spell your name. Monty Magno. (laughs) Yeah, so that's my favorite because I think it's something that every single one of my applications needs, which is to store settings. And it's evolved and it's gotten pretty good. And I'm even evolving a little bit more. Um, So there's that, that one. I think that if I was to go beyond that, you know, out into the packages that I pull into my applications, um, probably I use your SQLite plugin a lot, which, you know, I don't want to toot your own horn, but I, I do happen mm-hmm. to use it quite a bit in almost all my apps that are out there. And then I use another plugin often, which is user dialogues, um, from Alan Ritchie, um, because I, I'm too, I don't have time to like worry about all these dialogue pop-ups and data <laughs> entry and all this stuff. I used to do that, but I just wanted to be really simple. And, um, I just use his a lot. It's not the most, I don't think it's the most accurate per, um, like per that I would, you know, per each platform as far as like designing for UI. That's what you're saying, right? Okay. It actually puts something up. I I don't know that one. You know, it's good. It's like, we'll do a little progress spinner or we'll do a little, um, data entry or toast Mm -hmm. or alert dialogue, things like that. So I really like that one because it is very broad and uh, uses just, you know, standard stuff. But anyways, those are mine. And MVVM helpers. It's so good. Anyways, what's yours, Frank? Uh, I I tend to go more toward the low level. Um, uh, Let's see. Aside from JSON, you know, I bring in the Xamarin Forms. I just had to give it a shout out because it's been (laughs) showing up in more and more of my projects. Uh, Yes, I do use my own database libraries, everyone else. Your libraries are awesome too, but I use mine. Um, And then I have a funny one that I I really love. And this comes from my experience using F-sharp. And when I go back to C-sharp, what I miss are the immutable collections from Mm F-sharp. These are your lists, lists and dictionary and things like that, except they're immutable, which makes them very pleasant to use when you're doing multi-threaded programming, which I tend to do a lot of, unfortunately. And while we do have like the concurrent collections and all that stuff, I prefer the immutable collections. And it's just a little nougat you can get from Microsoft. It's actually what the Roslyn compiler is based on and how I was introduced to it is all of their stuff, uh, is immutable and based on this uh, collection package. And then on top of that, I have to mention that I, I pull into I pull in Roslyn into way too many projects these days. <laughs> I just love having the little compiler there to help things out, even for basic things. Like if I want the user to be able to type in two plus two instead of the number four, Roslyn can do a lot of that work for me. And so oh, I just pull in this giant compiler so that I can get uh, easy math inside my apps. So like when, oh, that's interesting. So essentially, let's say you have a, I I never even thought about that. So if someone has a a text entry field and they say one plus one, it'll do it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like bringing a tank to (laughs) fight in like, I don't know, a kickball match. I'm trying to think of an analogy. (laughs) It's it's over. It's too much for what you actually need. But I I just like having that power there um, to do all that kind of stuff, especially for the weird scientific apps that I write for engineers. It just works out. That is so interesting. I would have never thought of that ever. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Roslyn's so powerful. It is so powerful. 
All right. Um, I got pretty excited because I did something and I've been doing something. Finally, we did an entire episode, which was the most popular, one of the most popular episodes we ever did, which was on the one library to truly rue them all, <laughs> .NET standard libraries. Not to be confused with .NET Core. .NET Core is a runtime. .NET standard <laughs> libraries are libraries that can be shared across all sorts of applications that have a .NET runtime. I just literally explained this on GitHub. So there's runtimes, right? There's a Xamarin runtime, there's a Mono runtime, there's a .NET runtime, there's a .NET Core runtime. And you can like literally take a .NET standard library and share one bit of .NET code everywhere. And I've been converting all my plugins slowly, taking time, asking Emo if I'm doing helping it correct. <laughs> yes. Hopefully helping me out because I need your help. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Anyways, so... .NET standard libraries, let's talk 2.0. You just said you yeah. built your first 2.0, and I want to know how it went and why. Why did you have to do it? Yeah, I, I was excited. I, I just had this uh, weird idea for a new library. Hopefully, I'll announce it in a couple weeks when I actually get it into a good state. But uh, I thought, hey, I'm going to write a .NET standard thing because it's 2017, and they told me I can do this, and I think it's about time. Um, of course, you can still create PCLs these days, but we're trying to move away, right? So I'm like, I'm going to create a .NET standard. Everything was working great. Had all the libraries I wanted. I was able to import my JSON.NET. Everything's working great. But then there was one class that uh, I couldn't use. And I realized uh, .NET standard all below 2.0 did not have this class, HTTP listener. Like I could not create my own web server in my app. And I wanted to be able to do that. Well, .NET standard 2.0 to the rescue. It took me a little bit to figure out how, but I ended up having to install, and this is where it gets confusing, .NET Core 2.0 Preview 1. I forgot what they're calling it. Maybe it's even a release candidate. But it was released, I believe, in May. And, at that, and the nice thing about it is it supports .NET standard 2.0. Yeah, and I think that um, it also has all the tooling around it, too, that you may need to mm. actually create it. And I know that, I think, I don't know if Xamarin apps or maybe the vNext supports it, 2.0, and UWP will support it this fall. So you're you're definitely in preview. You're in that, yeah. uh, that raw meat category, like blue. But people can consume it. As long as I get the NuGet out, it'll come down and people's apps can take it. The, the hard mm. side, it's, am I wrong? <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. I don't. That is. Uh oh. <laughs> We're about to find out, folks. We will. <laughs> we will get back to you on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's so. That's why I've been living in the current stable branch, where essentially I have been. Uh, I've been converting everything over to .NET Standard 1.0, so everyone <laughs> can consume all my applications because almost all my plugins are just very shim wrappers, or MVVM yeah. helpers is very very simplistic in what it does. And I actually ran into same thing with a, basically every single everybody that is creating .NET standard libraries have a new spec, which defines their NuGet package. And if you do it wrong, it will install all of the .NET standard library and all the dependencies. And that's fine, but it's kind of tedious because <laughs> all those things already exist in like Xamarin applications. So I talked to my good friend Emo and he said, you have to write all these blank dependencies and then it won't do it. Mm. And uh he approved wow. of what I was doing, but he did that. He did say that if you're doing .NET Standard 2.0, that will all go away. So kind of by this fall, everything should be in a really nice place. And additionally, Xamarin Forms just upgraded to .NET Standard 1.1. So I'm pretty excited about okay. the evolution of things. So I'm very happy about what's happening. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a little confusing because I know it from two sides. I know it at the really low level, like what the runtime's actually doing, what all this like facades and forwarding, how it actually works. And then I know it kind of at the marketing level and my marketing level knowledge isn't as good as my low level knowledge. So I can say from a low level point of view, there's absolutely no reason you can't use standard 2.0 today anywhere on any app. So what you're saying is there's basically tooling issues and other things like that that might get in my way. But you know what? I'm going to live in the future, not looking back. .NET 2.0, baby, all the way. The standard, yeah, the standard is here. The standard is here to stay. I think what's really important, and we'll continue to do it, is trying to explain that a .NET standard library can be consumed by everybody, and it's not related all that much to .NET Core, even though it kind of is, but... Stop saying core. That that's it. We just have to ban the word. You know, we'll we'll just yeah. call it dingus like the other things. <laughs> well, I installed dingus preview one and and it let me Not not did as you... good as Dingus 1.01, but <laughs> did you um did you have to install Visual Studio 2017 preview? No, I did yeah. all this on my Mac. I ended up oh. just installing uh .NET Core um 2.0 preview or RC, I can't remember. Sorry. Oh, cool. Yeah. But That's it worked amazing. out of the box. Yep. Love it. All right, Frank, that is a time. Let's thank our amazing sponsors this week of Merge Conflict. We have two, um, which is really, really awesome. Uh, and we cannot do this show without you, our listeners, but without our amazing sponsors. And the first one is the amazing developer conference series, Visual Studio Live. They're the development world's uh, trusted educational provider of all sorts of developer-focused content, the stuff that we talk about here on the show. So you're living in the world of Xamarin, .NET, ASP.NET, all that goodness on Mac, PC, everywhere, Um, DevOps. They cover everything. They have developer conferences all throughout the year, and they have four more this year in Redmond uh, in August, Chicago in September, Anaheim in October, and in Orlando in November. And I believe I will be at all of them, which is awesome. Um, So what's really cool is that they cover all these topics, Visual Studio, .NET Core, Azure, Xamarin, ALM, DevOps. If you're a Microsoft developer, .NET developer, this is the conference for you. It's awesome. Um, What's really cool is a special for Merge Conflict listeners. You can get $500 off your registration. When you go to vslive.com, you'll see a list of all the show, all the different conferences. So vslive.com and enter coupon code MergeConflict at checkout. And then any of your teammates can use it. Additionally, our second sponsor this week is the amazing Raygun. They are everything that developers need for crash reporting to detect and diagnose software errors and real user monitoring to find and fix performance issues. I was literally just submitting updates to my apps in the app store. I use Raygun myself. I was doing Meetup Manager. I kept getting crashes over and over again, and I wanted to figure out what was going on. Even in development, I installed Raygun. I had Raygun already on there, went to the dashboard. There's all my stack traces. There's everything. I have it linked to GitHub. So it showed me the line of code that was actually causing the crash, which was awesome. And what's great here is that once I release the apps into the app store, I don't have to wait for my users to report problems. They really give me that visibility on errors and crashes and also performance. I get emails telling me how like how slow or how fast my application is performing. And it also tells me the releases that are going on too. So like, did it slow down? Did it become more crashy over time? It really just takes less than 10 minutes to get uh, set up and running, and it supports all of your applications, whether they're .NET, JavaScript, Xamarin, every major platform, every language, you name it, they support it. They're awesome. 
You can get a full 14-day trial by going to raygun.com slash mergeconflict. We cannot thank Raygun and VS Live uh, enough for supporting the show. So check out, of course, vslive.com and raygun.com. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. So much goodness. I love our sponsors. They're so great. (laughs) I do do love them. I, I love our sponsors because... People always ask me like, well, how do you, you know, go about asking sponsors and things like that? And I go, well, I just talk to companies that I love and products that I use and they're, they're, they're kind enough to, to sponsor us and make this show possible. Yeah. It's pretty great in our community, actually. <laughs> yeah. We've always... So Frank, you've been shipping apps to get to our fourth topic here. You've been shipping apps for quite a long time and kind of recently with iOS 11, uh, Apple is making a larger change to say, hey, listen, you can't just pop up all these dialogues all the time. They mm-hmm. started in 10.3. They introduced some new APIs. So I want to kind of talk about how do you not only just ask for re- reviews, but respond to reviews, and how do you funnel that back into your like daily development? Yeah, these are great questions. <laughs> and actually, um, I wanted to talk about this for another reason, too. Apple announced another change that they're making, and this one's um, pretty important to me. And that's in the past when you submitted a new version of your application, it would basically blow out all your ratings from there, that point. Your app would look like a fresh app to the stores if it never existed before. And you would have to beg everyone, please come review my app, show that this app has a long history, that most people like it. But it, it was this ugly, terrible cycle. And I, I fell victim to it many times of, well, I don't want to release an update right now because I have really good ratings and a lot of ratings and it's like almost a five star overall. And if I do an update to fix this minor bug or something, I'm going to destroy all those reviews. So that was a terrible situation and Apple thankfully finally fixed it. And so now when you're submitting uh, an update, you can choose whether it should reset your rating or not. And for me, that changes pretty much every dynamic imaginable from how I ask for reviews to how I respond to them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that I, for a long time, so in the world of Google, you've actually been able to respond to comments for a long, long time. And it's actually an always just ongoing. So it's very different in the world of Google Play. So it's always ongoing. You don't get to make that decision. But you do get to have a conversation really with your users. And I think since it's all linked to Google and Google play in your account that they get like emails, I've never really noticed how it works, but I feel like they, people actually adjust things and maybe go back in. I mean, once someone gives you a one star review, they're kind of maybe gone forever. And and that kind of stinks. Um, and I just recently ran into this with meetup manager cause I've had some, it's really hard to integrate sometimes with third party APIs that are constantly changing and always keeping up to date and, and all this stuff. And, uh, meetup, change some APIs here and there and Apple changed some things here and there. And I had sometimes just a string of a bad week or a bad month where things stopped working and those users are gone. So what I found out is uh, I've always known that for the last um, maybe six or six months, 12 months that Apple now lets you leave feedback, but I didn't really know how to do it. (laughs) And Frank and I had to to figure it out. I was like, do I do it in the app? Do I do it in the Mac? Do I do it anywhere? And it's just an iTunes connect actually. You just have to be logged in with a proper account and you can respond to people. Mm, but I do like what you're saying, because I would rather if I have a four star, you know, four star average, I'd rather not blow that away and keep it there. Right. But if I had some bad releases, I would rather blow some of those away. 
Yeah, well, that's that's the best part is we're finally in control. I mean, the alternative is you do it Google's way where you just never destroy the history, which is mm-hmm. fine. But, you know, we've all had that bad month or something where a million people log in and give you a bad review. So it, it's nice to be able to get rid of that. It, it, it does. Um, I mentioned before that I feel like we've talked about this because we've mentioned asking for reviews also. Mm-hmm. And in general, I don't do this anymore. I have done it in the past. Then Gruber went on a campaign, remember, where if you ask for reviews, he told everyone to give those people one star reviews. Do you yeah. remember that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was tough because asking for reviews was really the only way to get reviews, to be thoroughly honest. And reviews help so much in an app developer's sales life. You know, um, I, I, I can put out a thousand ads, but honestly, a couple good reviews does a lot better than that. Uh, yeah. When you're browsing for an app, you look for one with a good history. Yeah, I think it's super tricky. And I, with Meetup Manager, ran into this issue where I got a lot of one-star reviews, but I still have tons of people actively using it and people buying in-app purchases in the application, which means that they like the app enough to give me money. So then (laughs) I thought to myself, I'm not going to follow what other people are doing and I'm going to now ask for reviews, but I'm going to do it very, very selectively, which is that they've actually given me money and they've used the app for like a month (laughs) or two. And you know what I mean? That's the secret to these uh, asking for reviews. Record a few stats in your app, make sure the person's happy, and then ask them for the review. Chances are you'll get a good review. Never ask for a review if you just popped up an era dialogue. Nope. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. That's bad. That's bad news. Yeah. So that's what um that's what I've been doing because I think I have some new features that people are liking and I've seen my yeah. um my dollars go up a little bit. And then by dollars I mean three or four dollars. So not not a lot of dollars, but uh it's been <laughs> good. Nowhere so to I think, go but up. <laughs> nowhere to go but up. Yeah, I think that's correct. Um and Frank, you put this one on here because I think I get this question all the time, which is just around just code documentation and properly documenting like projects and libraries talk about trying to avoid bad reviews (laughs) so (laughs) i have a bad reputation i love to write i don't even know if this is my reputation this is my reputation in my own head though is i love to write and release libraries i don't always like to explain to people how to use them though and Mm -hmm. in fact (laughs) just this week i i sent out a tweet saying i forgot how i worded it but it was something like i just wrote this class that i'm very proud of unfortunately i think i have to write an entire book to explain how to use it but the fact is, I'm not going to write that book. <laughs> so probably the only person in the world that's going to know how to use this thing is me. Uh, so to get around that, how do we write better documentation? So in general, I think if I'm am going to document my library, I think there's two things you have to do. You have to do a getting started guide, and you have to do API docs. Mm. And I think with those two things, most people are pretty happy. Is that a low bar? Is that too low? I don't know. So I have, I have the exact same issues. And for me, my motivation is less comment or less issues being posted that are questions or just things that aren't even supported. Yeah. And it's hard because now I have a lot of document, like I have a lot of libraries. I have way too many Mm -hmm. and I've gotten myself into (laughs) the mess, but for the greater good of the community, I love all of you. (laughs) You know, we went to .NET uh, Fringe recently conference in Portland, which was really cool. And I got introduced to this really cool static content toolkit for documentation, but for other blogs and stuff called Y-Y-A-M, W-Y-A-M. I'll put it in the show notes. 
Okay. And what it does is you can point it at a GitHub um, repository with the readme and also a GitHub wiki. So I've been thinking about, should I actually be utilizing wikis a little bit more for like documentation? Cause I run <laughs> in version controls where version yeah. two is different than version three and all these different things um, with breaking changes. And what this will do is it will statically generate your documentation. So I've been thinking of a world where, listen, my libraries are already getting run up on uh, at Vayer. If I could every time with every code commit push this out and it'll generate the API document with Roslyn. It just goes through and looks at your XML comments. Then you yeah. can also point it at your wiki and it'll generate a whole website for you of API docs. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've been planning to go this kind of automated route myself, but I, I think I was going to go the simpler one of just generating a markdown file that would get checked into the documentation folder, you know, so more of a somewhat more manual process, but I'm not sure if I'm a fan of GitHub wikis. I feel like yeah. every time someone like points me to a link on a GitHub wiki, I'm like, oh boy, can't wait to read, you know, 10 years out of date documentation. This is going to be great. So I just, <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like I just have more confidence when the documentation's a markdown file actually checked into the source code. Um, but yeah. that's really just the distribution model. Who really cares? I think the point is um, we all have to do better at our uh, code comments, at least so that we get the API documentation. Yeah, I think the API documents help a lot because even in, you know, I think that I, some of the things that I've created, I'm not very verbose and maybe some of the parameters so i'll put like distance and is it distance yeah. in meters or is it distance in you know what is it um yeah and and those are the worst comments and i i catch myself doing it because you tell yourself i'm going to document every function and then you have a property called distance and you're like well what am i gonna say about this and you're like yeah. it's the distance dummy but like if you think about it there are things you can say this is the distance in meters this is the last distance updated when this happens you know just give a little insight into the internal workings of the app to help people along yes yeah. and and what uh, i've done is i'm i'm with you i prefer to put everything actually in the readme because mine i'm just like here's a readme and go but yeah. then I actually do find some of them being very, very large because some of these are so complex. So like I'm a big fan of single screen. I read down like, oh, this is how you use the API. Cool. And this is how I get this thing. Like these are the different ways of doing it. And they're not really API docs. It's like, here's how you would use the method. Here's what it does. Mm -hmm. You can go read the XML documents. And in fact, when you say curt dot current dot, like there's the actual XML documentation. So I think it's a combination of things of making sure you have good XML documentation, but also making sure that you have a good, you know, definition of what each method does and how to kind of use it. If you have a long getting started, break that out into its own file. The the readme stuff is there to catch people's eyes. You want to show off the API, show how it's better than all the other libraries anyone mm -hmm. else could be using. And that's the code examples you show in the readme. And then you point them at a proper getting started. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Last one. I'm super excited about it. And now uh, we're recording mid week ish, mid E3, <laughs> I should say, which is the electronic electronics entertainment expo which i've actually been Ooh, to e3 many moons ago now that was a big one oh. e3 so many e's uh, great. I, I, i've always kind of wanted to go but then people said it was like too crazy it, this is the one in vegas right no this one is in los angeles oh, oh god i'm getting confused with that other one <laughs> yes you're thinking of cs, CES which i've also been to <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> okay, they're all blended together. This one is about video games, though. Is that right? Yes. It is the biggest video game where all the announcements happen. I mean, PAX is huge. Don't get me wrong. And I love mm-hmm. PAX Prime here, PAX West, whatever they call it now. <laughs> but yes, this is in Los Angeles. It's at e- E3. It's where everyone does the big reveals. Okay. And essentially, we're recording like on a Monday or whatever. So Microsoft has happened. Um, Sony's going to have one this afternoon, about like half an hour or so. But uh, since this were pretty Microsoft centric, um, <laughs> I have upgraded my Xbox many a times and they announced the Xbox One X, which is a terrible name oh. for a product. Yep. <laughs> I'm actually an Xbox fan. I like my Xboxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I am a little disappointed because I recently got a 4K TV. So prepare to make it or break it here. Does the new one support 4K? It does support. That's what it's all about. This is using (laughs) the the Scorpio chip. It has 11 or 15 billion teraflops of uh, horsepower. Um, It is it is essentially the next generation of Xbox One, but it can also play every single Xbox One app. It's backward compatible with Xbox 360 and also backwards compatibility with Xbox original. Oh, oh, wow. That's bringing back the memories. (laughs) <laughs> Does it play Geometry Wars? <laughs> I believe it will play the original Geometry Wars. I'm pretty sure they announced that, and I go, "That is crazy." Kind of that happens. <laughs> this is what happens when you build an operating system for a game console based on virtualization software with Hyper-V. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I was actually thinking I'd get a PlayStation this time around because I was begging for some 4K's content, but um, mm-hmm. plus I want my Journey and a few other ones. But I'll I'll take a look at this Microsoft product you speak of. I think that the PlayStation 4 Pro is not really 4K. It's, it's more VR ready. Microsoft didn't oh, talk really? VR at all, which was interesting. Oh, it's a, okay. It's a very confusing time for video game consumers. I think Nintendo is really clear at what they're doing. They have the Switch. It's your at home. It's your Nintendo console. It's your away Nintendo console. It's everything all in one. It's awesome. I love mine. But I think both Sony and Microsoft are in a weird spot and I could everything could change in a half an hour when the Sony presser happens. Right. But imagine when you're a parent going into GameStop this holiday and you're like, well, did little Timmy want an Xbox One S or an Xbox oh, One yeah. X or do I get this Pro or do I not get a Pro? <laughs> what do what do I do? Does everything work on these? And but one's five hundred dollars and one's two fifty. I don't know. So well, if Timmy's anything. anything like me, Timmy goes to a catalog, cuts out the one that he wants, and <laughs> kind of just keeps handing it to the parents until it shows up one day. Well, yeah, I really want this, but I don't. I don't want to spend the money currently. I will buy it eventually, I guess, because mm-hmm. I'm a big Xbox fan. Yeah, I, I want to see the. Uh, did they announce any like Oculus or Vive integration? Nothing you said, huh? Nothing. Zero zip. Nothing. Mm. Well, they're going for their mixed reality thing, right? So we're all going to buy three thousand dollar hollow lenses. That'll be that. <laughs> I think so. Who knows what they're doing? I think that was the one kind of down uh, of the day. I, I watched a lot of other press conferences. Very exciting stuff out of E3. So I'm excited to see what else happens. But uh, I wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on the, the Xbox. Well, you have one. to tell us an- anything on Nintendo. We got to do our Nintendo's update. We will <laughs> next week, most likely. Yeah, uh, we'll give, okay, a, uh, we'll okay. give a E3 Whole episode. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> we'll give a recap up there. But it's kind of an ex- to me, it's an exciting time because we just came out of build WWDC. Now it's like video games, and like it's kind of nice to take a break from code. I don't know. 
Yeah, and it, it gives us something to dream about all summer when none of us want to work and we can just think about all the cool things that'll be released before Christmas, all the big companies tell us. <laughs> exactly. That, what, what, where's all my money going to go while this holiday season? Right. <laughs> yes. Um, cool. Woo, we did it. 35 did it. minutes. How many topics? A thousand topics. Five minutes each. Wow. Woo. This is getting easier, I think. I think so. I think we're crushing it, but we want to know what you want us to hear about in 10 weeks from now when we record episode 60 and do lightning talks yet again, (laughs) or just honestly just send us an email because we've been covering more and more of what you, our listeners want to hear. You can go to mergeconflict.fm, write us an email, tweet at us, Facebook us, anything that you want. There's a thousand ways to get a hold of us. We would also love it. You know, just send us an email. We love not only just chatting back with you, but you know, listening um, and responding to uh, your questions on the air, which is really cool. Um, I think you know, I love doing lightning talks, Franks. Congratulations on episode fifty. I'm excited for even more. Even though I said we're not going to congratulate ourselves, <laughs> I think it's pretty cool that uh, two, yeah, two friends that met five years ago. Now we're we're nearly a year in deep on this thing. It's crazy. And still having the same conversation. Amazing. Talking about <laughs> conversation that won't end. <laughs> it never. It will never end. All right, Frank. Um, I think that's about it. I think uh, for anyone that's out there, please feel free to share Merge Conflict with all your friends, family, and coworkers. And if you're using iTunes, we would love it if you could leave a review. You have no idea how important it is for the iTunes ranking in the Apple Podcast application. We would absolutely love it. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.